Yes, guys, what's good? You're tuned into Pi Radio, Manchester's number one youth-led radio station. My name's Gerns, and this is Mango Masala, the South Asian show. I'm joined here by Simran and Halima. How are you guys doing? Hi, guys. Um, I'm all right. Wish I had something more to report at the minute. I do. Obviously, it's November. November. <laughs> It's very important for us to have this month to reflect on the importance of men- mental health, um, especially for people who identify as male. And as our resident psychologist, I believe, Simran, you're going to be steering the wheel this episode. So <laughs> on to you. So basically, in light of Men's Mental Health Month this month, I think it's important to talk about it on this platform because we need to bring light to these things and I think a lot of people every year it gains more and more traction with more and more people raising money for charities or doing November and stuff like that but it's important to recognize I think the gravity of the situation so like 75% of all suicides are males and in general men report lower life satisfaction and I think it's probably trigger warning as well for anyone listening oh yeah yeah big 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 trigger warning sorry um and I think especially on this show we talk about things or in general people like to talk about things and then bring like the oppression of women into it because we always speak of women as the minority group but when we look at stuff like mental health it's actually men that don't really get the recognition that is needed and all at least in comparison to women because even with like talking therapy referrals to the NHS I think it's less than 40 percent of all talking therapy referrals that belong to men so no one's even getting out there and talking and it's there's a number of reasons why the the difference between men and women and gaining access to mental health support is so vast and we've lost halima (laughs) and i'm sorry sorry hang on and it's because of these things that men are more likely to go missing, they're more likely to abuse alcohol and drugs and other substances, they're more likely to be homeless, they're more likely to um, act physically um, aggressive towards themselves or towards other people. And we need to start breaking down these barriers and start attacking these stereotypes at the source. And it's because of things like Men's Mental Health Month that we can all raise awareness and, you know, bring awareness to these issues, which are so key and affect literally half people that we know. Mm. what do you guys think so far about like men's mental health and the gravity of the situation especially in comparison to how like like prevalent mental health awareness in general is at the moment I think obviously speaking as someone who identifies as male um I think obviously I've it's only really become an idea of like talking about your feelings I'd say over like the past 10 years or at least for men I think like growing up in like in primary school in like the noughties I can't really remember ever being encouraged to um, embrace my emotions and my feelings and like be at one with that and there's always like the sort of things that like I just remember Obviously, it's not like the same sort of thing, but I remember like, what's that thing? It's like, um, girls are made of sugar and spice and all things nice, and boys are made of like snails. And it's some like nursery rhyme or whatever. But like, is that kind of idea that girls are allowed to be like that? Or, and it, 
it's, it's detrimental to people that identify as female as well because it automatically it make it's always like oh don't be a wuss don't be a sissy that sort of thing like it's seen as being bad if you're actually being at one with your emotions and feelings but I think yeah go oh. on Halima I was just gonna say I think it's also like important to obviously not to deter from the conversation about like the material help that men need because first and foremost like that's what I think that's kind of where we need to position this conversation like in the realm of like material policy material resources because um we can sit here and we can attribute like you know suicide to a number of things you know mental health problems etc etc but then also like what things exacerbate mental health problems right and it is access to help access to resource and all that kind of stuff so that's first and foremost the 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 kind of the the context in which we need to situate this conversation but then also it also needs to be a conversation about patriarchy right and the way that patriarchy because people kind of have this assumption that patriarchy only harms women and yeah women are the you know the the primary kind of victim of patriarchy but also men as well like this what carlos was speaking about how men are um <clears throat> not just not actively encouraged but the opposite actively discouraged from speaking um you know emotionally from being emotional even that is um that is a patriarchal logic you know that men are supposed to fulfill a uh, prototype which is the emotionless non-feeling um kind of you know strong macho masculine man like masculinity is kind of very very far removed from emotion the realm of emotion <coughs> and it is a very patriarchal you know this the gender construct men are victim of it whereas you know they they do also benefit in a lot of ways they are also victims of it in a lot of ways as well and this is one way so this is just a thing that I want people to kind of consider when they next talk about, especially men, when they next, you know, some men might understand this conversation about male mental health, but then they might not understand the conversation about how patriarchy also affects men or how patriarchy is universally bad for everyone. Mm-hmm. So it's really, really important to have those conversations in conjunction with each other, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I think also like kind of linking back to what Carlos said, that along with the patriarchy, comes that sense of toxic masculinity that is instilled in young boys from childhood or from like birth because everyone's familiar with the phrases like man up boys don't cry that kind of stuff. don't be a girl don't be a wuss exactly like you said Carlos like it's this like ingrained fear of being able to show emotion for fear that you'll be seen as less than someone else who can bottle it all up and not express themselves or you'll be compared to, like god forbid compared to being a girl or um, sensitive or weak <clears throat> you know and um i did a little like question poll on my instagram um basically saying putting up a little um question that was what are some things that you are afraid to talk about because you are a man and i got some really good responses and a common theme that i saw throughout was three things one was anxiety one was like loneliness and um mm sorry loneliness and vulnerability and the other was basically the notion of being able to talk at all feeling like being a man is the main barrier to talking to anyone and not having support to speak out or not feeling comfortable enough or not having the like emotional and conversational tools needed to speak Mm. out yeah Yeah. I mean like for those of you that don't know I went to an all boys high school so obviously I was surrounded by um boys yeah exactly a lot of like masculinity a lot of toxic masculinity as well but from a personal perspective I don't know whether my sense of like closed off emotion etc is more to do with me because I've always been someone 
I remember in primary school, it was a thing that just like no one really had seen me cry just because like I just didn't used to do it. And that wasn't because I was afraid of like being seen as weak. It was just because I hated attention being on me. So I used to like actively avoid like be putting myself in that situation because I just didn't want that sort of thing. So I think it's hard to say whether how much of that was due to like um, that idea of masculinity or whether that was just me as a person. And that, that did continue into like, high school as well. But obviously I was surrounded by just boys then. And it really was a thing. Like I can't really remember one time where I had any conversation with anyone that was any in any way relating to like feelings in that sense. Or like, obviously like maybe slightly, but like not like on a deeper level I never like talking about oh I'm feeling this way today because blah 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 it was always like very much it didn't really go below the surface like and I don't there was never really even an instance for it to go below the surface it was never like someone maybe showed their emotions and then there was a chance to delve into it it's just no one really showed them at all and yeah it's just it's quite weird thinking back about it to be honest I think it's like the notion of toxic masculinity that ingrains into like young boys that they don't feel comfortable enough to then express themselves nor are they taught how to like they're not given emotive language and they're not given the tools to be able to actually feel comfortable even if given a space to speak out on it still don't feel comfortable and that obviously carries on into like adolescence and, and adulthood and I think one thing that came up quite a lot in my replies was like it's an everyday thing it's not like it comes up when you're feeling particularly low or when someone might ask you a question you feel like you can't like speak out on your problems it's like an everyday worry it's an everyday feel a uh, feeling of like mild anxiety just constantly and you never know how to deal with it because you haven't been given those resources growing up as a product of toxic masculinity mm-hmm. yeah I think it probably stems back to like it's not just about like school man. it's about like the whole idea of like a nuclear family like obviously not everyone is going to grow up say with one male parent one female parent that that's that's not presumed in any way but like obviously that is what the majority of people will probably have grown up with and I think there is a sense of the um, male siblings are going to be treated different from the female siblings or like the relationships that you have with your parents are going to be different depending on the differing sexes like and just thinking about that in relation to me personally like I when I was growing up my dad was consistently at work and was very much um and that it was quite like a bit away so like he was like not as around as much so I spent a lot more time in my childhood being with my mom and I do wonder like whether that has had any sort of influence on how I've like turned out as an individual because I think a lot of people would say that I probably have more um feminine traits with like with regards to a lot of things like and obviously we're going to say well what is feminine traits but stereotypically feminine traits yeah it's interesting this is like I mean this is a, a conversation about like gender as a construct right um and gender is a construct guys gender is a performance shout out Judith Butler um same way you're saying Carlos that a lot of people would like 
um kind of attribute female qualities to you it's the opposite for me like people so because obviously I'm the oldest like sibling in my household my father is like a very kind of like strong-headed typical like you know desi man and he doesn't have any sons so I kind of like played that role like as in my household and so many people now in my life will say to me like you have masculine um attributes but <clears throat> that is very much again like I said it's, it's literally just about how gender is a construct and it's a performance and we perform these at uh, these qualities that are then attributed to a specific gender performance mm-hmm. and I think like everything we've spoken about like in terms of how young boys are brought up with these ideals and having to att- like adhere to these constructs that they believe to be fact and they can't really like see a way out of because they're not given the tools to all the confidence to uh, grow out of it is why we have we need to raise awareness of things like mental health within males and why we have to dedicate a month to it because it then manifests itself later in life as things like depression and the symptoms of depression in males is actually really different to the symptoms of depression in females which is probably why depressed males go under the radar a lot more than depressed females do so symptoms of depression in males is stuff like sudden irritability frustration loss of control physical aggression anger whereas you know the general symptoms of depression are just like low mood uh, fatigue tiredness low appetite things like that um so it's the difference between like the way these things manifest themselves and we look at the statistics and there's stuff like the biggest cause of death for under 50 year old men is suicide, which is a crazy mm-hmm. stat if you think about it, like, which means that the extent of the problem is so much beyond what we can understand it to be right now, because we can talk about toxic masculinity and putting you know gender as a construct and putting people in boxes in terms of when they're born and you know the gender that they're assigned at birth therefore they have to adhere to being a certain way but it relates to real issues down the line where people can't deal with their mental health and they have to seek different outlets which is ends up being just damaging it is interesting as well how what you said is for for the signs of um, poor mental health in um, males um, it's interesting how that is off those symptoms that you're describing as what a lot of people would see as just being classic male traits. So you'd probably just see that and think, oh yeah, they're just they're uh-huh. just being a guy, like sort of thing. So I, that's probably why it goes under the radar so much. Yeah, precisely. And also we have to remember to be intersectional in our approach to male mental health. And we have to understand that a lot of these stats are like a UK national average, but these stats are actually way worse and exemplified in a lot higher rates between men that belong to the BAME community, disabled men, war veterans, men that come from lower socioeconomic statuses, men in um, the lower class or the working class. These rates are like even higher for these specific groups and LGBTQ plus men as well, sorry. So we have to remember that there are so many different factors additional to the experience of a white British man that that come to play for all of these different groups that then exacerbate these issues and then make the the risk of depression, depressive symptoms, suicidal ideation, and the risk of suicide so much higher for certain groups than others in this country as well. Mm -hmm. We can't like sit here and be all privileged just because we dedicate a month to it. There's so many other problems that needs to make this a year round issue. Yeah, I think a lot of them, bay men as well um maybe not necessarily in this generation though often in this generation as well but in generations gone by obviously there's quite often a story of 
emigration in some form, which has mean up, meant uprooting, starting anew, taking your family with you. And obviously within the past, um, the man was often seen as the head of the family. And during those times would have had to go through a lot in terms of like feeling responsible, providing for everyone, etc. And I think we've spoken before about how like one thing I do rate about not only like um like Indian um dads, but like all South Asian dads or all all bay men essentially is I do think there is that sense of like strong work ethic there, which is quite admirable. However, it can be turned on its head and also be a very negative thing because it's this expectation. Yeah, you're just going to work yourself to the bone, and but that's a good oh. thing. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. We can also now talk about how that impacts, obviously we can only speak from like the Desi perspective, but like how that impacts the role of like um, Desi men as fathers, mm-hmm. right? And the capacity to which they're able to perform their role as fathers because this is obviously it's personal to my experience and it's and I think almost universally like pretty much every like desi parents like desi person I know whether it's like my family my friend or people just that I know people on like the internet even um they do a lot of desi men turn out to be emotionally unavailable fathers like because they are there, there is kind of like the um the 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 general like male kind of um stereotype where you're not supposed to be emotional and all that kind of stuff and then I feel like it's even like more compounded within the Desi community and Desi culture like mental health already has a certain kind of specificity within Desi culture but now like when you add the the gender stereotypes to it it takes on a whole new dimension right I feel like Desi men in particular again from our kind of point of view um they're they're, like so emotional see it's so emotionless that then they grow up they children and they don't know how to be emotionally present for their children you know and then that kind of like really perpetuates the cycle because I look at like the men in my family and I see how they are and they're like they're, they're great in terms of like you know they provide and and all the material stuff but in terms of like being an emotionally present parent they they can't do it they don't know how and it's because their fathers were like that to them and their fathers were like that because their fathers were like that to them and it is like everything that we're talking about can is really compounded in that specific like desi context and that's not taken away from any of the positive elements of like what these people have been through and what they've done for everyone or like the ways in which they've helped people no, it's no, just no. yeah even to them as a vi- as as like as as a um as victims right like I'm, I'm gonna get a little bit personal here but like me and my me and my father like we don't like we struggle in our relationship and um and like I remember there was one kind of and we don't ever speak about things right because that's just not what's done um and there was one kind of like fight that led to like a semi-productive conversation where he did say like you don't understand me like you actually don't know what I've been through you don't know like you don't know what I've experienced in my life you don't know where I've come from or all of these things and it's like well surface level yes I do I know your journey I know your story I know where you were I know where you how how you got here but it's like the kind of the, the daily performance of being this kind of like immigrant man provider sole breadwinner you know that kind of thing that we can't really ever understand the inner machinations of because that's not our reality but it does victimize these men you know like it does have to they do have to get thick skin 
they do have to kind of you know behave and act and perform in a certain way and it then does lead them to have a kind of like it does have a knock-on effect on their family life but I think like to your point Halima and also tying in what you said like not like to to their credit they've done so many wonderful things over the generations and over the decades of like building a new life here like I know I couldn't do that if someone asked that of me so like commend them for doing what they have but as a result things like mental health and caring about stuff like that took a back seat and I think that's what created a culture and like I said we can can only speak from a Desi perspective but it created a culture of no one speaks about things because it's that kind of like if it's not like a broken leg, it's not visible and it's not an obvious ailment, that's mm. not real. So things like depression just get swept under the carpet, not spoken about because it's stigma, <coughs> is the word, really. It's, it's a massive stigma awesome. in the Desi community. I don't know. I don't know about you guys, but like I see this like with like Bengali men, right? Like of my dad's generation. Like, and I know like I, one of my friends who's Gujarati as well, like some very, very similar thing where... Um, they don't really like like say something like death right they don't really like react to it that much like 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 it's a bit weird like and I understand it's because they've seen so much trauma in their life and they've seen so much death in their life like to them it's not that like it's upsetting and 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 all of that but they're not like they're so used to it it's so normal for them and it's like I see it and I'm like it's it's so weird how you're not like how you're not your grief your grief the performance of your grief is so different to how you would expect the performance of grief to be right and you look at that and you do and you notice that's actually a trauma response it's because you have seen so much trauma in your life you've seen so much death and so much destitution in your life that another dead person is not as traumatizing as it would be to someone who you know is has has been better off than you have in your life you know it's almost like they couldn't react to it because if they did it would open up a floodgate of then have to right. deal with the grief of everything else the best way for them to deal with They've it the only way they right. know how to is to just stiff up a lip and get on with the day's proceedings yeah. get on with their work throw themselves into work and then just let the time go by until they're not thinking about it anymore which yeah sure it works for the short term and you're not having you're not crying and you're not like grieving in the normal response that we would expect but it manifests in so many different ways and that's where we like linking back to the different characteristics of depression in men versus women like the anger the irritability the frustration physical aggression um you know it's these things that then contribute to a like behavior down the line it might not be obvious that it's resulting from this one trauma here or a hundred traumas down the line but it's all a manifestation of these things and I think in the Desi community we have such a problem with creating spaces to speak about things because not only do we lack the awareness and the like confidence to speak about these things because of stigma because of like what, what other people think because of like you know it's not a broken leg we can't see it therefore it's not real but also the fact that we don't have words for this we don't have the language you don't have the knowledge or the terminology I think there was a really good post um by someone called Tina Mystery on Instagram and she made these infographics right and it was Punjabi, Gujarati, Urdu, Hindi maybe even Arabic as well and um it was like the words for mental health depression anxiety schizophrenia bipolar and in all those language there was not one word for any of them I I, have the language tools to discuss these things forget like forget the societal and the cultural spaces to discuss them 
Yeah, 100%. And it's so and that's so interesting because we know language is a reflection of culture, right? Like language is language is the access to a that's world. Um, and I, I actually do also just want to take this moment to shout out on Instagram. There's this page called um, at Bengali Mental Health Movement and they do exactly that. So they have like infographics on um, on on like language on basically how to communicate your mental health kind of situation and mental health needs to Bengali people in the Bangla language. So um, anyone Bengali listening and maybe struggling a little bit, I would definitely recommend checking them out. So I think just to like kind of wrap things up, that in honour of Men's Mental Health Month, though, like I said, I don't think it should be a month. It should be something that we think about all year round because of the gravity of the statistics, like the difference between the genders is so wild to me that I just think a month isn't enough in this case. And it is it is strange because we always talk about things from the perspective that women are oppressed and, you know, uh, women are the minority in most cases. And that's where like the, un, the un, unjust, unjust, injustice, uh, injustice, there you go injustice lies right but in this one case and I think obviously because like mental health and mental health awareness is so prevalent in my life that I think in this case I actually feel like really passionate about it if you can tell um, mm. that's that a word things are like it baffles me and then I think you know there's so many things that we can do as you know people who are men so you know for your fellow men and then for everyone else who does not identify as a male it's just to like it's not hard to just offer a space to someone, whether it be through a text, a phone call, a FaceTime in person, and just let them know that you're here for them if you think they're going through a hard time. Even if you don't think they're going through a hard time, just to let them know that they've got a friend in you and then you can provide them a space and you you will listen. And that when they do want to talk, when they're comfortable, you do it without your own like stigma and your own hang-ups about the situation. You give them a platform and you approach it with empathy and you, you know, let them discuss what they need to discuss without feeling without them feeling like you might judge them or you might think of them a certain way like you just need to make sure the floor is open for them and you need to reassure them that it's okay to talk and it's okay to ask for help and if the situation is serious then you know to book that GP appointment or get some more immediate help and Mm -hmm. most importantly to look after yourself because it's hard to you know listen to people's problems day in day out so you have to always do your own self-care and reach out if you're feeling like you might Uh need support as well and there's a couple of good really really good um organizations and charities so I think there's calm which is a really good one for uh resources in general and like advice I know they've got a mental health a to z toolkit which is amazing um the Samaritans is great for round the clock um advice and yeah they've got a telephone line which you can call and get help and get seen to within minutes which you can um have a space to talk if you feel like your thoughts are becoming overwhelming or you have something you'd like to particularly talk about um human is a great organization and they do a men's only forum at 6 30 every monday um via zoom now it used to be in person but it's via zoom now so it's actually better because it used to be in london now everyone can join um to speak about men's mental health and different discussions every week and then for my bama individuals there's the black african and asian therapy network and Taraki. um both specialize in BAME mental health and Taraki, specifically for punjabis but also the wider south asian community I just wanted to like say as well, like um, I spoke to someone recently on my other show about um, breast cancer and there was a very much um, 
putting forward the idea that you really need to advocate for your own health, which it shouldn't be the case, but you kind of do. In that instance, it was if you feel like something's wrong in regards to having symptoms relating to cancer, um, even if your doctor says that um, they think you're too young for it or whatever, just be persistent because it's better to be safe than sorry. Um, it's a similar sense here. Um, I actually have struggled with my mental health in the past and I had to put so much effort into actually getting the help that I needed like I literally went like to um, the doctor in like 2017 and I was so deflated by the response that I got which just wasn't helpful at all um, that it put me off actually going back to actually get it and um, I actually actually wasn't until 20, 20 like I've tried like, like therapy and like stuff like that as well, which obviously I would say never turn your head against that. And obviously you're, um, it's quite a privilege to be able to take advantage of, of therapy because obviously if you try to get through the NHS, it's such a long waiting list. But if it is available to you, I'd say go for that. But also I was always someone who was um, averse to taking medication because I just thought, oh, like, why would, like, why do you need um, pills to be quote unquote normal? Like, I was so um, averse to that. But I actually did start taking Incetralin in February 2020. And honestly, the difference that it made is actually, it's like, obviously, you're never going to be like 100%, but like, it's actually made such a massive difference. And I never, like, predicted that so like I would definitely don't like turn your nose up at that because actually that was probably what helped the most I obviously like therapy and talking about it is helpful as well but that additional boost from that was like honestly so good so yeah no but honestly thank you for sharing because all that does is just reaffirm the fact that it's so okay to ask for help and Mm -hmm. there's nothing that you can't benefit from from asking for help no one's going to turn the back on you there's always going to be someone there whether it's your friends your family or someone on a phone line or someone that's attached to one of these organizations you know there's always Mm -hmm. somewhere Mm -hmm. that you can go and I think it's the the way that people think about getting help through therapy or through um prescriptions is a massive deterrent in this country because of the waiting list and because of the process that's needed which I think there needs to be a massive reform for because the more and more that mental health is becoming prevalent and the awareness of mental health is becoming so much more prevalent as we've seen literally since the beginning of the pandemic especially that there needs to be a reform in this country for how how accessible mental health is I was going to say like it, it, it does go back to what I was talking about before about how you cannot have this conversation about male mental health without situating it within the kind of the realm of material politics you know like there is one part of it where you should kind of show up and advocate for open conversations and try to be there for the people in your personal life but there's also so much that you can do unless you're a trained professional um and and that's where the kind of the healthcare service that we have in this country needs to pick up the slack so if you are you know passionate like I mean any any decent person is like passionate about like you know male mental health and and things like that then also guys we gotta um really lobby for for healthcare reform 100% I just think it's mad as well. Like, I'm sure the term will have existed for decades, if not centuries. Well, maybe not centuries, but decades. But just growing up, like, just not knowing, like, me personally, I didn't, I had no idea mental health. I think, I think even throughout high school, 
I feel like I only really knew what mental health was like maybe like towards sixth form or like going to uni. I really didn't have any idea like what mental health was like. It really has come a long way in the last 20 years, I think, especially in the last 10. And as someone who's been very involved in psychology since a very young age, I think I've been more privy to it. But it was very much a sense of like, mental health wasn't real unless it was something extreme like a a case of psychosis or like extreme depression extreme anxiety where it's like debilitating to the point that you can't function daily or the fact that it's just not real because you can't like I said like going back to the broken leg analogy like it's just not a real thing and therefore you can think your way out of it and think yourself out of depression which we all know isn't true Uh uh and I think an important thing as well is for representation we speak we speak about representation a lot on this show but representation in the medical field is such an important um prospect because we've spoken about it with um colored versus white individuals and basically saying like certain skin conditions can't be seen or bruises can't be seen on different skin types and those aren't recognized by white medical professionals it's the same in mental health where a white psychiatrist or psychologist might not be able to identify certain trigger points and risk factors from an Asian or black or African client because there's different life experiences involved, different cultural factors at play here. And that basically what better representation in the field of psychology would do is enable people to not only feel more comfortable speaking, but feel way better understood with things that are rooted in cultural, situational, lifestyle factors that all pertain Mm. like race and religion, ethnicity, nationality. Yeah, and on that, in that in that regard for those who are lucky enough to be able to afford like private therapy i would definitely recommend the the um baatn so the black and asian therapy yes. network um so another resource for your head top yeah but it's literally one of the reasons why i want to be a psychologist i think i liked it from the beginning without knowing all these like inner Cult- problems and stuff like that, all these differences but then doing my own research as I've gotten older realizing the cultural differences the cultural aspects that play into mental health and like it's a desperate need yeah and then and a real need for representation in that field is so massively needed so I think it's one of my biggest motivational factors now is to be able to help people that Mm. come from my background or even a similar kind of background at least you know, mm. to not go through three, f- three, four, five sessions of having to explain how the culture works just to make a breakthrough. We can just make that breakthrough on the first session because I understand. Yeah, 100, 100. Sweet. So thanks, everyone, for that. That was a really good conversation, I think. Um, mm. We're going to have a little bit of a music break now. When we come back, um, Simran is going to take the mic again um, with her own personal interview. Yes. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I was like, Travis Scott? I was so confused. <laughs> um, yes. So in light of Men's Mental Health Month, I have been lucky enough to conduct an interview with Sharanjit, the owner of the organisation Daraki, which is helping to reshape the community approach to mental health within the Punjabi and the South Asian community. And he does some amazing work with some workshops and forums online and soon to be in person with some amazing resources online as well so go and check them out and here's the interview enjoy i'm joined here with sharanjit from draki and draki is an organization which is focused on supporting mental health specifically within the punjabi community and i'll let sharanjit tell you a little bit more about draki and how we started the organization awesome 
Thank you so much for inviting me today, Simran. It's, um, it's great to come and chat about Drakki and how we started and some of the work that we're up to at the moment. Um, so I started Drakki in October 2017 and Drakki works with Punjabi communities to reshape approaches to mental health. And the reason I started Drakki was when I transitioned from home, which is Birmingham, to uni, which was outside of Birmingham, that was a really, really difficult transition. You know, going from a space where I could be myself, I could feel at home, into a different area where I felt like the odd one out all the time. And suddenly there weren't really many people who looked like me in my student community. That was a really challenging time in my life. And, you know, it led to me isolating myself. It led to me pushing myself away from friends and family. But importantly, you know, I accessed and I was able to access support through my friends at that really difficult time. And basically, I recognised that there were so many other people experiencing these kinds of challenges, but they weren't lucky enough to access that support. And so the start of therapy was really just based out of my experiences and mental health challenges, me being able to access support and me wanting to see other people to be able to access support so they can live their life how they want to live it. So moving from home to uni, did you feel that you were in an environment where, like you said, you didn't see as many people that looked like you. So do you have a little bit of a challenge in terms of like identity and how you felt that you placed in that new environment? Yeah, you know, I'll be completely honest. Um, back home in Birmingham, I could walk up and down, you know, the local kind of Desi Street, the South Asian Street next to me, and I don't feel at all out of place. You know, I can just walk up and down, be myself. I can go where I want to go and I can engage with people. And, you know, I'm showing love. Importantly, you know, I'm shown love by different kinds of people. And the, the challenge was when I went to uni, there wasn't that kind of love in the same way. Um, I felt as though I really stuck out from the crowd in a negative way. You know, I got really quite ignorant questions from people. I was having people kind of make me think that my identity, you know, as a Punjabi Sikh man um, was something that I should be shying away from. It was something that made me feel as though I was the odd one out. And so there were these massive questions exactly like you say around identity. Who was I? You know, was it tea that was in me at home? And these are really hard questions to deal with, especially when you're that age. And I know many students go through this as well in different ways, but it just shows us that there are so many things happening at that time. Yeah, exactly. So the birth of Lucky as we know it. So do you want to speak a little bit more about the work that you do? Sure thing. Um, so for those who don't know, Taraki is a word found in Punjabi, in Hindi and also in Urdu. And it's a part of the verb to progress, you know, to take steps forward, to advance. And when we work with Punjabi community to reshape approaches to mental health, we have four areas of interest is mental health awareness, mental health education, social support and research. And just really quickly, I'm just going to explain why we have those different things as well. Because mental health awareness, we can start off with awareness, it's a really, really important place to start. But just because someone's aware about something, they don't necessarily have a level of education or an understanding that goes beyond awareness. Awareness is a really important first step, but it's not the whole process. 
And so really we're thinking about awareness, education, which kind of builds on awareness. It actually makes us feel equipped, confident and comfortable with these topics. And we have social supports, which is where we actually have spaces for discussion spaces, peer support spaces for Punjabi men, Punjabi women, Punjabi LGBTQ plus folks, and even our Punjabi student work as well. And importantly, those social support places are where we can actually practice these skills, where we can actually you know, t- change how we interact with ourselves, interact with each other. And then finally, research um, is an important part of our work because there aren't many people asking these questions within Punjabi communities. There aren't many people asking, you know, what are the main challenges? How are people accessing support? How can we best support people now? And so really we've taken it We've taken that responsibility onto ourselves to be able to guide that discussion, which helps our work and it also helps people externally to understand what is going on within our communities. Have you found that there's been a sort of growth of awareness since the birth of Dunaki, people reaching out and explaining that they've learned loads more? Because I know one of the big um, barriers in mental health awareness, especially within our community, is things like the lack of language, lack of terminology, the lack of just key phrases and awareness and ability to communicate these things have you found that since Draki has grown that people are reaching out more and encouraging conversations and being a lot more open so you know it was really hard at the start right because you know I, I remember speaking before we started Draki I remember speaking to some relatives and I was talking about mental health and they said oh, which means oh, it's, a, it's a white person's thing and that you know i didn't think you know you're completely wrong i just thought there is something wrong in how we're talking about mental health and mental health awareness in our society that this information isn't getting through to the people in our our communities and so one of our main things at the beginning was to really push and encourage Punjabi men to speak a bit more openly about mental health because we saw a real lack of that discussion um, within mainstream kind of culture um, and I remember, you know, we had like a series, we had like a series of web and jumping men talking about their mental health and um, their mental well-being. And we used to get, you know, maybe one submission every few weeks at the beginning. And it was really hard to get that conversation going. But, you know, when we had five or 10, 15 submissions, suddenly there were people who were willing to get in contact a bit more easily you know people will come forward they come and want to share their stories and share their experiences and so we have seen um, a real real increase in in being more confident in talking about mental health which is a really really important first step as I said. That's fantastic. Um, Speaking a little bit about Covid and the last two years odd of what's been going on how has that affected the lucky and the work that you guys do? So COVID obviously has you know, impacted all of us in huge amounts of ways, but importantly, COVID has had different types of impacts on different parts of our society. You know, those who might be socioeconomically privileged or have different experiences for those who aren't. Um, and so for us, the main thing that we did at the, at the beginning of COVID was do a bit of research to understand what are some of the key challenges that people are experiencing, what are some of the key supports that people are using. And what that did was really show us how Punjabi communities were experiencing COVID-19 and their mental health. And one thing, for example, it outlined that LGBTQ plus Punjabi folks were experiencing particular challenges that other groups of um, Punjabi folks weren't experiencing. So it really helped us to be precise with um, the work that we were doing. 
Um, so after we did this COVID research, um, you know, it was shared in various kinds of places. It's been cited in loads of different like kind of texts and research. Um, it basically showed us the, the roadmap to how we needed to support our communities. And so we've really enhanced our work with Punjabi men, Punjabi women, Punjabi LGBTQ plus folks. We've been doing a load of work on mental health and faith because that was a topic that came up a loads in the research. Um, and we've also been really enhancing our student work because we recognize that students are a population who you know, needed different kinds of support at this point um, and specific and tailored support as well. That's fantastic. It's really good that you guys are tailoring and you, you know, you're not just putting things up because you see, you think it's that needs the work that you're actually doing the research and finding out the exact exact stress points and how we can how those can be targeted and what work can be done right exactly because you know i feel sometimes we can always have a lot of energy and saying we need to do this we need to do that we need to do that but it's important to just take a breath take mm -hmm. a step back and ask those who we're trying to serve ask them what is it that we can be doing for you and then you can kind of fill those gaps and it can be impactful so in light of men's mental health month i think we'd speak a little bit about um, the work that Tarakki does geared towards Punjabi men in the community. So if you'd like to outline a couple of the projects or some of the work that you do specifically supporting men. So for me, there are three projects that come to my mind. The first is the very first project that we really pushed through Tarakki, which I mentioned earlier, where it was about sharing the experiences, the stories and the knowledge of Punjabi men uh, around their experiences and mental health challenges. And the really important thing with this was before there wasn't somewhere you could go where they had all of these experiences and you had all of this type of uh, these types of information and so we started creating that bank you know we had those those experiences and those testimonials so people could see themselves reflected um, in these discussions and it really just created a little spark and from then what we actually started doing we started having in-person peer support sessions discussion spaces open forums um, as I mentioned, we have these with Punjabi men, Punjabi women, Punjabi LGBTQ plus folks, and also students. Um, but the, with the men's space, you know, we started in person. We used to have it in London, in Birmingham. I was helping get it up and going in Toronto. And we just discussed different topics, topics that people didn't feel they could talk about with their family or friends. You know, a space where people could be honest, they could be open, and, you know, they could listen and learn and connect with each other as well. They could build their relationships with other guys and you know in a really really kind of wholesome and connected way and so since the pandemic started we've kind of moved onto online um, but we're hopefully going to soon be starting in person at some point in the near future um, and finally our work around um, Punjabi men we're actually developing a curriculum so a training package that will actually train people so that they can hold spaces pierce spaces for Punjabi men as well um, and so you know we, we, I was saying before we were running our, our spaces in different cities what we actually want to be able to do is work with organizations around the country around the world um, to develop these things and help them to be able to run these things themselves obviously 
with the research that you guys have done within men's mental health, what have you found have been some of the bigger obstacles community-wise that have prevented people or specifically men from being able to access the help and support that they need? Yeah, one of the biggest obstacles for me and one of the biggest, biggest obstacles we've observed is around these ideas of what it means to kind of be a man. Um, so how are ideas of gender, how are ideas of masculinity, and it also links into you know, ethnicity, sexuality, that kind of thing. How these can really shape what we are allowed and not allowed to do. Um, and when we think about mental health, when we think about talking about our mental health, that's perceived as something which is vulnerable. And being vulnerable within understandings of masculinities is often pointed to as being weak. When in reality, in our view, vulnerability and being open is a signal of strength rather than of weakness. And so one of our key pushes, one of our key aims is to try and change that perception, is to try and show Punjabi men and men more widely that it is okay to talk about these things. It's okay to talk openly about mental health challenges. It's okay to access support when you need it. It's okay to be open. It's okay to be vulnerable. Um, because, you know, we need to be able to provide that support when people are expressing themselves in such a way. And just to wrap up lastly, um, I was going to say, is there any kind of advice that you'd like to give out to people that might be struggling with their mental health, specifically from a male point of view? And then also, what changes can we all make to improve men's mental health in our daily lives? I would say, you know, what the, the, one of the main kind of things that helped me when I was experiencing my challenges was taking that first step to just talk to someone about what I was experiencing, whether that was talking in person, whether that was talking on text, online, whatever. Just taking that first step, it might seem incredibly, incredibly daunting, but if you're not able to live your life the way you want to live it, if there's something that's stopping you from, you know, going and having a chat with a big group of people, because that was the thing with me, you know, I wanted to go and speak with people, but I found it really hard. Um, if there's something that's stopping you from doing that, then let's think about why that might be. Um, and let's try and try and identify that and maybe access some support as well. And for the people more widely about what we can all do, you know, sometimes people say, oh, you know, you're a real good role model for mental health. What I say to them is actually everyone can be a fantastic role model for mental health. You know, one of the biggest things, one of the biggest, biggest things that we can do is listen, is actively listen. You know, we've got two ears and one mouth, we should be listening twice as much as we speak in our conversations. And when I'm saying actively listen, it's not just hearing someone, but it is making sure that they feel listened to, that they feel heard, because that is one of the biggest tools that we have in our toolkit. And just to kind of finish off, it's one of those things that we don't learn how to listen when we're younger. You know, I think it's it's less than 5% of our time, we you know, when we're in primary school is spent learning how to listen. We learn how to write, we learn how to read. But when we're adults and we're out in the world, listening is one of the most important skills that we need to use. And so even if we haven't learned it in the past, we need to reconnect with listening because at the end of the day, listening could literally um, save someone from going into a particular difficult situation. Yeah.
Exactly. I'd like, that's advice that everybody needs to hear a little bit these days, especially. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you for taking the time to join me this morning and um, let the people know where they can find you guys on socials. Awesome. Um, so our website is www.traki.co.uk. That's T-A-R-A-K-I.co.uk. Um, we are on Insta, Twitter, TikTok now as well. Um, and then we are also kind of on a few different social medias, but it's all on our it's all on our it's all on our website. Um, so, but if you just search for Traki, you'll find it. Great. And what events have we got coming up in the future that people might have thought we, they would like to join? We have our men's group is meeting up next week, um, and they're looking at the topic of like baby loss and miscarriage. Um, our women's group is meeting up next week and they're looking at the topic of menstrual cycle and mental health um, then our student group is meeting up the following week and they're looking at um, relationships so if you just go if you just search for Taraki and Eventbrite all of our stuff is on there yes guys what's good you are tuned into Pi Radio Manchester's number one youth-led radio station my name's Gerns, and I'm joined here today with Mr. Mo Khan. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm all right. Thanks. We were just talking a bit before, weren't we, about how, in my opinion, <laughs> Tuesdays <laughs> are worse than Mondays. But... Oh, man, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it is the start of the week. But, you know, for us producers, every day is the same day, man. Mm. You know what I mean? But it's good, though. I enjoy it. I love it. For sure. So why don't you tell us like a little bit about yourselves for people that might be tuning in and haven't necessarily heard of Mo Khan before? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm a producer based in London. Um, I've been working with a lot of artists. I've been in the industry for a long time. Um, I've, I started working with uh, Rishi Rich, you know, then moved away from there. Uh, got my first hit, Billboard number two um, in Japan. Um, so went over to Japan, signed a record label deal uh, with Tower Records, travel the world, you know, um, then come back, um, basically settled into the Asian scene, you know, and since then, bro, I've worked with literally every single person you can name in the Asian scene. And uh, like behind one of the biggest, like all, well, nearly all of the biggest records, you know, either I've kind of like produced it, if not, I've mixed and mastered it, you know, um, I've engineered it, you know, so... <laughs> Yeah, man, that's me. <laughs> so what's it been like? Because obviously I, I was aware before this and you've just reiterated it as well that you've worked with a number of big names before and you've you've done a lot basically in the time that you've been producing. Yeah. But obviously there's that sense of all the focus usually goes on the artist. There's yeah. not necessarily the lev- same level of recognition for the producer. So how has that been to have worked on so many big projects and to have done so many commendable things but not necessarily get the same level of recognition for that um i mean you know what it's not more about like recognition it's about like just being a part of the record you know um to see the team moving forward is amazing you know um like i've i've worked with like uh um some pakistani artists there's a big artist in pakistan at the moment called asim Azar. so he's part of this big group and you know, not necessarily me, he gets more of the, like, obviously the attention, but seeing that I produce the record, you know, or I mix the record, or I kind of mastered the record, or was a part of it, it's a win for the team, you know, 
Um, so that's how I take it, man. Uh, I've never really kind of <laughs> gone through that, like, you know, uh, sat down and thought about, oh, man, I haven't got the recognition for it. But you know what? If, if the team's getting it, I'm getting it, man. Mm-hmm. That's it. So what was it that made you decide, right, now's the time for me to step into the industry as my own individual artist rather than staying behind the scenes as a producer? I mean, a lot of people have heard of my name um, and they've known that I've had a part to play in a lot of the major records. Um, So and a lot of the times, like I always got asked, like, why don't you release your own stuff? And I've always wanted to kind of delve into that. Uh, now I would say it's a better time because obviously we've just come out of COVID and for me it was like you know I can either just sit around doing nothing or work on something for myself you know so I worked on an album you know I wasn't necessarily sitting around like obviously I had international sessions over Zoom over like Skype and stuff like that Um, but like it gave me the opportunity to kind of like kind of work on myself um, (laughs) and come out with a sound that I feel um, can kind of like work with the generations, you know? Um, and I've, I've like kind of worked with um, good artists as well on my project. Um, and it's obviously it's, it's part of the album that I've worked on. Um, and it's the first single from the upcoming album. So mm-hmm. yeah, man. So what was it about um, Body, which is obviously the single that we're going to play shortly, but um, what was it about that that made you think, yes, this is, the single that I want to release, not only as the debut single from this project, but the debut single that's going to, um, it's going to put you on the scene as like with your name out there. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I just felt the song was so strong. Um, you know, like when we were producing the song, literally everything was just flowing perfectly. You know, and when you have that feeling of something always going right, you just let that go. You know, like you just put it out to the world. Um, if like I've, I've had issues, um, not issues, but I would have, I'd ha- I've had instances where I've worked on an amazing record, but then there's something about it that I don't like, you know, <laughs> but with this one, I liked everything, man. And I was like, you know what, let's not hold back. Let's just release this, mm-hmm. you know, as a debut single and it, it's going to work out, man. I know, I know it's a good track. Yeah, no, I have no doubt about that. Having um, listened to it a, a few times now. So how did the element of collaboration come about? Because obviously it's got him with Al Shahid on it and Shake the Baker. So yeah. did you always have them two in mind or was it just you thought, was it just, oh, you thought, okay, I need a singer and a rapper or how did that come about? You know what? Funny enough, um, I was working on this record um, with Shaker the Baker. And at the same time, I had Bilal in the studio right but it wasn't this record body it was another one and they kind of like hit it together and they were like so like they were talkative and they they loved each other's company their vibe everything just clicked and you know all of us in the studio together we just created like amazing tracks Bilal himself he's an amazing songwriter artist you know he does everything you know Shaker Baker the way he raps like man like you can put him on any beat or any track and he'll sound like amazing. So I thought, you know what, let's just mix these two, man, and see how it, <laughs> what comes out, you know? And I know that this track, like it was kind of like, it happened all in one day, if you can believe, you know? I made the beat, I sent it to Bilal, you know? I said to Bilal, bro, like, if you can come up with something, you know, let's, let's see what you can come up with. And literally within hours he had 
you know, this amazing chorus and a pre-chorus. I'm like, bro, listen, I know who to get on this now. <laughs> and I got Shake of the Baker on it. And man, it just worked out perfectly. Yeah, it's it's mad as well, though, because obviously having listened to the track, I can also um, affirm that it does it does work. Yeah. <laughs> like, it has worked. <laughs> but um, it's weird yeah. because obviously um, they're such different sounds. Oh, yeah. Um, and you wouldn't necessarily pair them two together. But Never. Never. Yeah, and that's the beauty of it, man. That's the beauty of it, because I know that Shaker is that he's got the hard-hitting lyrics and he always talks about his life and, like, what, what he's gone through. And on the other hand, Bilal talks about, you know, all the other things like, you know, going, yeah. going out, partying, clubbing, girls and stuff like that. So I just felt like, you know what, me being an R&B nut, you know, I love R&B music, um, you know, and Bilal's vibe on R&B is just next level, man. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I loved it. And when we sent him to Shaker, man, he just literally just made the track what it is. Sure. You know, it just worked out, man. Loved mm-hmm. it. And obviously as well, you got to do a video for it. So what was it like being able to actually make a music video for your first single as well? Oh, it was amazing, man. It was amazing. We worked with a guy called Ryan Adagio. He shoots a lot of uh, Shaker the Baker's videos. And bro, like he just put the visual to it, man. It just looked amazing. Um, And it's got that vibe, man. Once people watch the video, they'll understand, you know, that, you know, what we've gone through and how we've made the track. We had so much fun making the video, man. You know, there was there was uh, a lot of banter, a lot of like, you know, <laughs> amazing, amazing people involved. Yeah. So yeah, man. Yeah, no, it's interesting because it's like it's one of those videos where it hasn't necessarily got that many scene changes, but yeah. it's not boring by any means. Uh, like it, it's not like it's like oh, okay, when's the next thing coming? Because like somehow it's still like. You're still exactly. watching it all the way through. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Now, Ryan done a really good job, man. Shout out to Ryan, my bro. He's amazing. Mm-hmm. He's amazing, man. So, obviously, like you said, this is taken. Um, it's the debut single from your debut album as a um, producer in your own right. Yeah. Um, so, do you want to maybe tell us a little bit about the album as a whole? So, the album is a mixture of, obviously, my Asian heritage, um, and obviously where how I've been brought up in London, you know, I've, I've like, and me loving R&B so much, you know, so I've merged the three kind of things together um, and made it into like this one fusion sound. Um, and it sounds really, really good, man. Some of the tracks that I've got in there, bro, like from Drill to Garage to, you know, like Deep House uh, to R&B, like completely all kind of mixed into one. You know, using like amazing, amazing people on the album as well, man. And I can't wait for people to hear it. I liked as well how in the song um, in Body as well, how you had the little drop at the beginning. Ijazate, that's the name. Yeah, yeah. That's it. So is that something to do with permission, right? Ijazate means have I got your uh, permission. That's it. So, so is there any sort of like story behind that or? Um, so... Ijazate basically means, um, like I said, have I got your permission? So, you know, I just felt like, you know, have I got people's permission now for me to drop the album? You know, uh, it's not like one of those things where I kind of thought about it for so long and then, you know, just came up. No, I had this idea that um, every time, like, you know, we did something, you know, my dad played a big part in my career, you know, um, and he was the first person I asked if I can go into music. You know, and he loved it, you know. Um, so asking permission has been like, you know, 
one of the things that I've loved, you know, asking my dad, asking people like, you know, um, how do we do this? Or if we can drop this or, you know, how should we get it done? You know, so it just kind of just is a part of who I am. You know, um, I like it. Um, I like the name and I like to, you know, kind of uh, shout out my dad, really, because uh, when I told him about this, he loved it straight away. You know, um, and when I did ask him, literally the words I used, dad, and he was like, yes, of course, come on, let's do it. And that's, yeah. that was the name. No, that's really cool. That's such like a meaningful story behind, yeah, like, yeah. especially for your debut and album as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm curious as well, because obviously, like you said, you've been in the game for a while. You've produced a range of tracks and you're talking now, obviously, about having done drill, but also garage. Um, and you would expect, obviously, considering you've been doing this for um, quite some time, that you will have produced for a number of different genres as the years have gone by. Yeah. So I'm curious, how have you managed to maintain that like sense of throwback in a sense with like the garage etc but then also make it modern because obviously everyone loves a throwback but at the same time you've got to keep things yeah. modern you've got to keep exactly. it fresh so how, how have you managed to do that oh man i'm always learning about music you know um my music range starts from classical goes all the way up to rock and metal you know i listen to every single genre of music um, like I spend at least three hours a day just listening to music, you know, it could be anything. Um, that's how I keep my mind fresh, you know, and that's what kind of teaches me about new sounds, you know, um, back in the day, I used to DJ as well. And so that used to give me like a bit of insight as to what people are listening to and what new DJs are playing. Um, but being obviously being a producer, um, like just listening to a lot of music, man, that's it. Like, and I listen to all the new sounds, all the new artists, like pop, R&B, hip hop, drill, like you name it, I listen to it, you know, um, that's how I keep it fresh, man. That's how I keep it, you know, that's how I keep going. Sure. So going back to the album, um, yeah. do you have a, like a rough date as to when we can expect that? Yeah, so the album's actually done. Um, I was hoping to shoot four videos um and release like uh four singles from the album first before dropping the album so i'm just planning the second shoot as we speak you know um i'm working with a great videographer called uh Murshid, and this guy man he's done everything as well for, from the drill scene from the uk grime scene to like asian music um so he understands exactly the vision that i'm going for um so yeah man after after like to answer your question then I would say early next year, definitely, um, I'll be releasing the album. For sure. Yeah. No, I, I'm glad to hear that we've got like so many more, not just the tracks, but the videos as well. Like really looking yeah. forward to that. Yeah, man. No, so great. obviously um, as a producer, are we looking at like different artists on each track doing the vocals or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So funny enough, like I've done a bit of background vocal on all the tracks, right? Even body. You know, it's funny, but I've done a lot of background vocal being obviously being my track. Um, I wanted to be a part of every every single element, you know. Um, so for every track, I've got a bit of my vocal in there. Uh, but I am featuring with like very talented, talented artists. You know, I have featured them on my album. Um, the next single, I can't tell you too much, but it's going to be amazing, man. It's 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 such a fusion. 
you know as soon as you hear it you'll be like oh my god like why didn't I think of this <laughs> yeah. and it's it's amazing bro and I'm featuring with this uh very talented artist called Kelsey who's worked with um uh like uh what's his name he's like the big kiss 100 dj uh she's he's working she's working with shosh like who's a kiss 100 dj as well okay working with um majestic so she's doing a lot of work man um and she's great her name is kelsey once again and yeah man we'll just watch out for that track bro i'll send it to you first oh thank you no definitely looking forward to that yeah but um probably coming to the end of the interview now i was gonna ask um, what well, we would usually ask if we've got artists on who they're like rating on the scene or who their favorite artist is and you're more than welcome to answer that as well but obviously as a producer I wanted to yeah. ask you who are you rating in terms of producing as well at the moment oh bro you know what like I've come to kind of rate everyone because everyone does their own thing in their own way you know um, I had to learn the hard way because I never had like you know softwares and stuff like that i just had a keyboard that sequenced on a floppy disk you know <laughs> so i had to learn my way through um so everyone who uses any software or does anything bro i rate everyone <laughs> you know i love everyone's work and i've like i've kind of like worked with a lot of like new talented producers as well um but to answer your question i would say there's a guy called p2j and he's doing all of like the Afrobeat stuff, bro. And this guy is amazing. Listen for his stuff, man. From Whiskid to to everyone, like he's done it. You know. So P2J, he's the guy, man. I've worked with him as well. He's amazing. Sweet. No, I definitely go check that out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, anyone listening that wants to keep up to date with you and your music, where can they find you on socials? On social is just I am Mokan, I, then A M, and then M O K H A N on everything. Sweet. Um, and body, the release date for that is? Is the 19th. Um, 19th. Yeah, 19th of November. So when this drops, that will be. Right. So this Friday, as in when this drops, yeah. th this Friday body 19th of november make sure that you guys get on that because oh, you're gonna hear it now but guaranteed it's a banger it is a banger. yeah oh. i'm glad to hear that self-assurance say yes it is a banger it is a banger. <laughs> <laughs> it is a banger because you know what i've played it to so many djs oh my god and people are loving it man mm. like and the thing is that um like people who i've had in the studio man as soon as i play the track they're like oh my god when is this coming out? I'm like, yes, don't worry. It's coming out. <laughs> so, yeah, man, I hope people like it. Because I certainly think it's a banger, bro. <laughs> no, I agree. And hopefully many more to come after that. Definitely, definitely. Great. Welcome back, guys. This is Mango Masala, at the South Asian show. And I'm going to talk a little bit now, a bit about a quite sensitive topic, something that's happened in the news recently. Um, for those of you that don't know, that I'm sure you all will, obviously, I think it was in the, in this weekend just gone um, in Houston, Texas, uh, um, Astro World, which was Travis Scott's music festival. There was a crowd surge, which resulted in lots of people being injured, and unfortunately, eight people, I believe, um, lost their lives. And obviously, this is quite a sensitive topic, um, and there is. Um, 
ongoing um, legal stuff surrounding it as well. So we're not necessarily going to comment that much on it, but just focus more in terms of on what can be done to help preventing this happen again. So um, Simran, I'm going to go to you first, just because I know that you're in, uh, massive Travis Scott fans. So how are you? How are you feeling after you like heard about it? I mean, it's it's strange to see like your favorite person get cancelled, and I think it's almost kind of one of those people that you didn't think would get cancelled. Like it's a bit of a random one, but for something like this is 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 crazy because as someone who's been to his concerts, I know how out of hand they get, and you're frequently used to seeing like grown adults and like grown men getting carried over the front like unconscious <coughs> passed out and over the front to security and then taken away like that's a normal sight you don't even bat an eyelid at that kind of stuff but to see it happen on this scale where people actually lost their life is not only like it's extremely extremely devastating and obviously like so much love and prayers to the families and friends of those who lost people even the people that are injured but I don't know where there's so many mixed opinions right now. I, I don't have an opinion myself right now. I don't really know. Just what is I don't think it was monocausal. I agree. I, more so a problem of kind of like I think generally it's more so a problem with like um uh with like large crowd infrastructure, perhaps, you know, the fact that like something like this was was like what what were the deterrents right because you can't always control the fact that you know if there are like literally like te- what was it tens of thousands of people in one one small space people yeah like that's oh my god that's a lot like i nearly they really nearly said a bad word but like you can't help the fact that that there will be like overcrowding or squashing and things like that but what what protocols what deterrents what mechanisms are there in place to stop um like a stampede or like it is literally like it's like fluid dynamics you know like have you ever been in a crowd crowds moving you as one person you can't you're gonna move with it do you know what I mean like it's it's literally science like it's science you know um yeah so I think I think maybe like as, as a lesson learned um there needs to be a conversation about like I said kind of large crowd infrastructure and and security protocol and things like that there's a lot of stories that have come out of the injured being like the youngest one was like nine years old and is now in a coma the youngest person I think who lost their life was 14 and I just think why why are people that young being allowed in crowds so large and here you can't even get into a standing crowd no matter how small the venue is and under 18 you need a guardian yeah it's so it's also a question of public health then right yeah so it's literally the legislation in America or maybe in just Houston Texas that allows such young people to go unsupervised into these massive massive crowds where of course they're right. going to be especially vulnerable compared to larger adults yeah 100 i think as well going back to this idea of um in these situations whether any um whether the accountability should purely be on the performer to stop yeah. stuff um I don't know, and I'm, I'm not going to comment on this specifically because obviously none of us know exactly like what will have happened. Yeah. However, um, as someone who has been on a stage before, maybe it was obviously it was a lot smaller one than like um, anything that in um, any scale of a music festival or anything. But even on that on that small stage, like you really can't see that much, like and. I feel like, especially if you're a performer in your, if you're in the vibe of things, that sort of things, I don't know. I I do feel like maybe 
certainly you can't really put all you, you can't like literally say to the performer it's their responsibility yeah. to like keep an eye on safety it's, it's like for example you're not about to say to them oh like they need to be responsible for if there's like some dodgy activity happening out the back of the arena you know what i mean like they're obviously not going to be responsible for that i think it is just a sign that like change does need to happen because obviously this could happen anywhere and i don't know how you avoid this sort of thing like i don't at once this like it's been described as like um what's it called like sinkholes of of like people i don't understand once that happens how you're meant to stop that but certainly obviously there needs to be um people need to be trained and people need to know what to do if this is happening because i'm sure there must have been people there that could see what was happening and maybe didn't know or didn't know what to do like i don't know i think for future like people just need to up the medical staff on the yeah. scene like make sure people are better prepared and also I think it says a lot to the people in the crowd as well like fair enough like when a crowd gets out of control it gets out of control there's very little you can do as one individual to help you know what it is it's because who on earth like if you're thinking about death who on earth is going to think oh, I'm going to die in a stampede in a yeah. concert you know I mean like we don't take these things seriously like we don't see, view them as fatal until it's too late and and like I think we need to understand the risk that having such that that many people in such an enclosed space has right mm-hmm. um and also like going off of what you were just saying now about what what should be done also i think like um actual um like site architecture as well needs to be looked at in terms of like escape um routes there's no there's no the bottom line is that it's a bad situation it shouldn't have happened kids have died like has something like this happened? Oh, obviously, like crowd crushes, etc. But um, has something like this ever happened at a music event? Yeah, I think I, in, I think in like two thousand or two thousand and three or something like that, there was a Pearl Jam concert, and I think eight people died at that as well. Okay. Um, it's not. This isn't new. Like people do die at concerts. I think it's very rare for it to be a few people as well. But I think the amount dead plus the amount injured plus the fact that it's such a big name and it's been a while since something like this has happened. A like big name like Travis Scott, and it's been a long time since something of this, like um, capacity, yeah, has happened. Now I think it's obviously headline news. Like it's it's devastating, but it's not the first time. It does make you think, though, as well. Like it's like it does make you think about how come something wasn't put into place for if, mm. if this has happened before sort of similar again like I'm aware of talking about again ongoing stuff but obviously it's really sad what happened to Alec Baldwin recently um with the gun that discharged um but that isn't like that that's how him who was it Bruce Lee's son I want to say died I think through a similar thing like it was like the gun went off and by mistake and it was a prop gun on set and it's sort of like you'd think yeah. when when someone who's I know obviously it sounds bad to say but when someone of such high profile has lost their life in this way you'd think that they would have changed things so that it never happens again yet clearly not I think people are, I think it's too accepted I think people just exceptionalize it too much like they think oh my god that's such a it's such a bizarre kind of exception yeah. right and yeah granted it's rare but that doesn't mean that that the potential for it to happen isn't there right but also and, I think and, america, and if you can't deterrence then you should but also i think america is just different 
Like, they just come different. Yeah, because, like, if you take England, uh, Britain, for example, Hillsborough, the Hillsborough disaster happened, right? And then since then, as far as I know, nothing similar has happened. And, you know, it's a really big deal here. The, uh, the anniversary is mourned every year. Like, it was a tragic yeah, life, and we recognise it as that, whereas something like Pearl Jam can happen in 2003 or whatever it was, and this can still happen again, like, less than two decades later. Like the whole gun crime thing in it like there was one there was a um uh the 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 mosque shooting in new zealand and i think the neck by the next day they they yeah. banned like semi-automatic rifles or something like that you know and in, in america they just it's just the yeah. lack of centralization in their government means that something can happen in one state but it can happen again in every other state because that state might be reactive in their law to change something but it doesn't yeah. mean that every other state is going to follow suit and then it doesn't stop yeah, any from preventing this happening over and over again yeah 100 thinking about things though do you think like that kind of it makes sense that it's like that because like looking at how big the u.s is like mm. i think America. it's like to be expected that America. they are basically a lot of mini countries like yeah. well yeah that's fine business, though. america's a business astroworld is just revenue astroworld yeah, is dollar signs to them they just value life in such a lower regard than i think a lot of other countries do that these things are normal to them are they going to change anything i don't know we'll have to see yeah exactly exactly yeah obviously r.i.p and respect to everyone involved in it everyone who witnessed it as well i'm sure it kind of been a very pleasant thing yeah well yeah on that note (laughs) thank you for tuning in today guys this has been mango masala the south asian show on pi radio manchester's number one youth-led radio station and we will be back same time next week three to five p.m make sure you follow us on instagram at mango masala radio and yeah see you next week